You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are as a church. A lot of you guys have heard bits and pieces from me and Terry if we've been out or you've asked us questions. But I think it's really important for you to know the history of who we are because it's really important for us to go forward. You need to know where we came from, right? I think that's really important because there's a foundation there, and it's not just something that just got haphazardly thrown together. So we want you to hear the heart behind why why resurgent, why we do what we do. And so let me give you a little bit of brief history, and and I'm unpacking this, and I'll try to be as fast as I can with this. But uh, my ex-senior leader was Steve Hale at Bethel Atlanta. And probably back in 2005, um, Steve, Steve was at a church and, you know, very involved. And he was, you know, he was thriving in some ways. But he said there were some things in his life, there were some questions and there were some things that he just wasn't seeing in the body of Christ. And he based it on this verse in Matthew 10, Man, I gotta have my glasses. That's changed too. That's right. Matthew ten eight, and and it was this verse: Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, and give freely as you have received. And Steve said he felt like he wasn't seeing that happen in the body of Christ, and he wasn't seeing a redeemed version of correct theology and what was going on in his life. And about that time, uh, at the, around the same period, Bethel Redding had started a Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry. And Steve was a full-time businessman. He was, I mean, he had his career. And the last thing Steve wanted to do was start a church or start something new in his life because he was going really great with his business and all those things. But he, him and his wife, Lindy, really felt called to put their business down for six months and head out to Bethel Redding to go to Bethel Redding Supernatural School of Ministry. And while he was at Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry, he, he feels like the Lord really put it in his heart. He's like, what I'm getting here... I want to see released in Georgia, in the Atlanta area. Because, you know, all of us, we've been centered around the, we're in the Bible Belt, and there is so much religion. And he was just tired of seeing religion. He wanted to see kingdom. He wanted to see the supernatural. He wanted to see uh, correct uh, theology. I love what Dub says. He says, Dub Alexander says, change your theology and change the world. And that's what Steve and Lindy wanted to see happen in the Atlanta area. They wanted to see theology get changed in the correct way to what God's theology is, not man's theology. So they went out to Bethel Reading, and uh, while it was in their heart, they were sitting there going, man, we'd love to have a school like this here in Atlanta. And through a series of events, it ended up getting back to Chris Vallotton. Everybody know who Chris Vallotton is? And a senior leader, one of the senior leaders at Bethel Redding. Uh, He came to Steve and he basically said, and I'm shortening this a lot. He said, you know, a lot of people have asked us to start a school under the Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry 
brand. And we've said no. He said, but today I'm saying yes to you. Isn't that awesome? So Steve and Lindy came back, and they began to prepare to launch Bethel Atlanta Supernatural School of Ministry. There are some of you that are in here that actually went to that school of ministry. Amen, right? There's some of you guys in here. And, um, you know, about that same time, Terry and I, uh, we had kind of really gotten burnt out from doing the religious thing in church and being in the rat race and just going through the motions. And we had literally... Stepped out of ministry, stepped out of leadership in ministry. We're looking for another church, really couldn't find anything. You know, it's a bad day when you go into church and you come out feeling worse than you did when you went in. And that's what we experienced on a regular basis. And uh, matter of fact, Bill Hobbs, he's not here today. Bill Hobbs sent me a message about three weeks ago. He goes, man, I'm down at this church. I wanted to go to church. I went to this church. He said, I came back. From being in that church, and he said, man, I had to pray the devils off me, man. I had to pray demons off me. He said, I was so depressed when I came out of there. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a bad thing. You know, that's, that's the opposite of what you're supposed to be receiving. And so, uh, you know, we, we couldn't find anything. And so there was a period of time we weren't going to church. And we were, there was a void there for us. I mean, there was a real void. And about that same time, somebody gave me a CD and a CD, CD, not an eight track or a cassette, but a CD. I was a little further along. Um, they gave me a CD of Bill Johnson, and I put that CD in. And man, when I heard Bill preaching and speaking and teaching, man, something came alive on the inside of me. And it wasn't too long after that that Jesus Culture started traveling outside of California and started doing. Uh, many conferences in different states. And so they showed up to Peachtree City, Georgia. I mean, of all the random places. Were you there, Craig? You were there. No, you weren't. Okay, Tara, you too. Wow. Little crowd, like 100 people. There was Kim Walker-Smith up there leading worship in a pink uh, pink little shirt with, with a collar turned up, and it was from Old Navy, and it said on the back, rock and roll. And she had her hair in pigtails, and she's up there just going to town, man. And she's leading worship, and, man, the presence of God just fell. And I was just, I mean, I had both my kids there with me, my my older son, my younger son. They were like 12 and 8, and they were terrified because they had never seen the power of God move like it was moving in this this little mini conference. But they they were hooked. And we left that conference just going, oh, my gosh, something inside of us came alive. It came on fire. And then it was literally like a month later, I had met one of the interns off the Jesus Culture team. They called me from California, and they said, hey, we wanted to let you know uh, Bethel is planning a church in Peachtree City uh, or in the Atlanta area, but it's going to start in the senior leader's home, and it's right down the road from you. And we were, I was like, you're kidding me. And so I looked at Terry, and we'd already been through so many different churches. And she goes, I'm not going. I, you go. I, I, I don't have it in my heart. Let me explain. Yeah. It was a house church. She didn't have it in her heart. I'm sorry. Well, it's it not was that. a house church, and I was like, I wanted programs. I wanted stuff for my teenagers. I, 
Like I wanted more established because that seemed like a long investment for me. I needed something a little more instant, I thought. <laughs> so she sends me, you know, to, to spy out the land. And uh, I show up to the hills. They call it, they called it, it, all the family had a big track of land. It was like a hundred something acres. And they all, the four, four or five different families had houses on it. And they called it the hell compound. I'm like, this is a cult. I already know it's a cult. <laughs> And, and then when I got there, I'm like, oh, it's confirmed it's a cult because you literally had to go park in this parking lot out in the middle of the woods. And then you had to walk down this path through the woods like to the grandmother's house, you know, and you just know the big bad wolf's going to jump out and get you, you know. And I show up and I walk up to the house in the senior leader's house and uh, they're having church in his a garage apartment over his six-car garage and I walk in there, and there's like 140 people jammed into this room, and it is chaos in a really great way. And I walked into that place, and I got bombed with the presence of God, with prophetic words, and just just overwhelmed by how God was there. And, you know... Man, you talk about incredible, the encounter. And then she came the next week, brought the kids. and I'll say that real quick. Okay. We, so he comes back crying, right? And so you got to come. So we go. We do the same thing, walking through the woods. And I'm thinking, I have not prepared my kids. You know, do not drink the Kool-Aid. You know, I'm like, this is crazy. The things we had to go through to get to this house. But anyway, it's just kind of an ongoing joke. But what he said when we got there, the presence of God was so strong, our our we were prophesied over, not by leadership, but just by the people. And I think that was one of the things that stuck out with us the most. But our kids never stopped talking all the way home. They were so impacted. And the words, and the reason I want to say this, it kind of goes along with a little bit of our vision casting. One of the things that they had a hard time communicating to us as their parents was that they get to do the stuff. And that was their little kid language. Sorry. Because we come from such a pastor-driven church, I thought we had not even modeled to our children that they could raise the dead, heal the sick. And they were seeing it on one Sunday service. And um, we never missed a service again. We didn't need anything else, right? We didn't need programs. Yeah, all that's nice. And the youth group was nice and blah, blah, blah. We ended up building what we needed. Everybody who survived that environment built what they needed, literally. And um, it's just like the song this morning. It was enough. His presence was enough. And so, go ahead. Sorry, I got emotional. That's all right. No, it was good. I mean, it was back. so good. And, <laughs> and, you know, and there were, we were just one of the numerous stories who encountered the same thing. I remember Nick and Jenny showing up to Bethel, Atlanta the first time. And you got sent to spy out the land. And they had came from Alaska because they had heard about what was going on in Bethel, Atlanta. And uh, they showed up, uh, Jenny showed up, I guess, the first Sunday she came. She got bombed by prophetic words. I remember you just weeping and crying, and you had such an encounter with God. That was the kind of things that we were experiencing in this environment. And I remember Craig and Tara showing up to Bethel, Atlanta at one point, right after they had stepped out of ministry. And they were really getting ministered to and received so much. And so fast forward about nine years later, after we show up, we're, we're there for almost, well, we were there for almost 11 years, but then we ended up going on staff, uh, started out in youth ministry, moved up to a family uh, pastor, and then ended up 
uh, with Steve and then become an associate senior leader at the church and saw so many amazing things, traveled so many places. We were involved with Jesus culture because we were a, 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 a parent church or a sister, brother, whatever you want to call it, sister church. I get that confused all the time. but And uh, just saw so many, so many amazing things. Well, about that time, Terry and I started having this stirring in our heart like, Hey, we, we feel like God wants to do something on the north side of Atlanta. Um, Bethel, Atlanta had kind of, at one point, we were really neutral, and we were kind of over by the airport, and then things happened where we couldn't find a building, and that one got shut off to us after about being there about five years. And, um, and so we just kept, they just kept moving further south. And for people that were on the north side that wanted to have the same kind of encounters and experience with supernatural family and kingdom, it became, it became so hard for people to stay involved because of the drive. And that was 10 years ago. Today it's even more impossible just because of the traffic. And so we, we, really, hit, we really felt like the Lord was saying, hey, we, I want to plant something on the north side of Atlanta that has the same DNA, has the same culture, and is going after the same thing. And so we were feeling that stirring, and we didn't know really what that looked like or how it happened. I mean, I had so many ideas of, well, this is how it's supposed to happen, and we're going to be sent and uh, sent with 100 people, and, boy, it's going to be really easy. Uh, I'm going to stay on a salary. I'm not going to have to faith it on my own. I, I mean, I had all these ideas in my head, okay, of, uh, oh, yeah, great man of faith, and, God, you got to do this, this, and this, and this. And um, fast forward a little bit, we were in uh, Sandy Creek High School, and uh, Sean Bolts was there. Everybody know who Sean Bolts? And back then, Sean was giving ridiculous words like calling out people's numbers, telling them uh, specific details about their most intimate things in life. Well, not most intimate, but semi-intimate things in life. And uh, just crazy, crazy stuff. And it was the same day, we were there on the same morning, uh, Brian and Lindsay were there. They got prophesied over by Sean and uh, by Sean that morning. Crazy he, he stuff. He told them as soon as they stood up. He said, "God's telling me that you have uh, bravery for the for the journey. journey." That was the first thing they said. If Both their, know, kids. That's their kids, bravery names. and God's journey. God's telling me you've got bravery for the journey. And the whole class, the whole church goes. <gasps> and and we were running two services back then, and. Uh, I think it was the second service that he gave us the word for us. He called out our anniversary date, our anniversary. We stood up, and he's like, oh, this makes sense. And he starts giving us this word. And one of the one of the things he said was, I hear God saying. And it was funny because that morning on the way to church, I looked at Terry in the car, and I said, you know, I don't want to, but I feel like we're going to be leaving Bethel, Atlantis. We're not going to be here much longer. And that morning he calls us out, and he said, God's giving you new marching orders. And I was like, ding. You know, like, oh, my gosh. Of course, he didn't give me the details. It's like, it'd be nice if you'd give me the details. You know, isn't that how God works? Sometimes he gives us a word, but he doesn't give us the full picture of it. Because if he gave us the full picture, we'd say, no way am I going to do that. Right? Anybody else can say that? If I knew what I knew. If you're not, you're lying. Because I'm telling you, I know. I I absolutely know. That's That's the truth of it. So... Long story long, we went on a sabbatical right after that for three months because I'd been in ministry for like 12 years and I needed a break. And uh, they sent me off, and it was during that time of the sabbatical that God just began to unpack 
what was going to happen with us in, in over the years to come and, and what the Lord was speaking was he said, I want you to go start a church. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. But no, I can't do that. I'm not capable enough. I, I don't have, you know, I'm just not, I, I don't have all the things I need to be able to do this. And he, he basically just said to me, he goes, the thing that you do really well, I can't get everybody to do. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, you make people feel seen, heard, and known. And that was the the thing that when he said that, I'm like, you're right. I do, I do that really well. And he said, you do that, and you just follow my lead, and you obey me, and everything's going to be okay. And, uh, of course, it took a lot more convincing than just that. I mean, it took months of me getting word after word after word before we made a decision to end up stepping out on our own and doing this because at the time, Bethel Atlanta was not in a place where they felt like they could – uh, launch churches. They they were in their own, trying to find a land, build their own building. It was just it was too overwhelming for them. They sent us and blessed us, but it wasn't one of those things where they sent us with a hundred people and it was an intentional plant. Everybody understand that? But uh, we said, well, we're going to do it whether you send us or not because we know we've heard God. And uh, boy, that's I just jumped off the cliff, you know, just head first. And so then we ended up. Uh, Starting resurgent, and um, yeah, you want to go from there? Sure. Was that what you wanted me to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just I was waiting for more of the story, or I was trying to think. Oh, if okay. Anything? So, no, that's good. I, I just kind of want to add this to it really quick because it was not a quick decision, and it was not a okay. We went on the sabbatical for two, three months, and we prayed, and God showed us. We literally processed this with the leadership for a year. Yeah, for a year. Not just. Steve Hale and that leadership, but also with Redding and their leadership, because we didn't want to just up and go. We wanted to really hear God. And um, and honestly, in our heart, we wanted to be a Bethel North. And I think the reason was because it felt secure. Yeah. It didn't feel like we didn't have to step out in a lot of faith, if you think about it, because we didn't, we'd, we'd have our salary still from him, you know. I mean, I was a school teacher, but you know, we'd lived off of that salary before, you know, so we didn't want to have to necessarily do that. And so anyway, I just want you to know, it was was not a quick decision. Like we really spent a lot of time into this. And when we felt the release, you know, and and even Steve still jokes to this day, is the last time I, that's the last time I send someone on a sabbatical, you know, because he didn't want to see Chris go because Chris did have that one piece of just that relational piece. And Chris, of course, made all the lists. He literally physically made a list of all the reasons he couldn't start a church. And God's like, I don't care, you know, like, because, like you said, if you just, everyone has their own unique giftings, and if you can just focus on that, he said, I will surround you with the people, with the other giftings. And so we just stepped out in faith, and when you have that word from God, you literally can be afraid of heights and stand on the edge of a cliff and not be afraid. And we just were maybe foolish or naive, but we just jumped. We just believed it, had a word from God. And really haven't looked back since. Yeah. And our relationship's really amazing with them. We're still really great friends. We do things together. Our youth went to camp with their youth a couple of years ago. So I just kind of wanted to kind of yeah. put that piece together. So um, anyway, so let's move forward to why Resurgent ATL. Like why the name even? Because I felt like it was good to share that. I think we've said it recently, but not everybody knows. Well, first of all, I don't know. Who knows that the, the motto for Atlanta is Resurgence? 
So three or four people knows that. That is the motto of Atlanta, um, resurgence, which literally is translated not only to rise again as from the ashes of war, but also as to rise from the dead. That's our motto here in our city. And so we took that motto and we were praying into it. And we just felt like God showed us the variation of that, which is resurgent, which means rising again. And it means to become stronger or to experience a burst of energy or interest, especially after a fall or an inactivity. So God was just showing us, we felt like every time we said the name Resurgent ATL or Resurgent Atlanta, we were literally prophesying into our city of Atlanta to rise up, to become stronger, to experience a burst of energy, right, after a fall or after inactivity. And we just, that was our desire. We wanted to see the move of the Holy Spirit and all these things. We wanted to see it and be convenient for those people who could not literally drive all the way down to Bethel, Atlanta. That was kind of our initial uh, thinking. And on this note, so now y'all know that you're prophesying. Every time you say our church name, you're prophesying. But we really, is a good time for us to kind of share our hearts with the name even. We've sensed, even for a little while, we kind of thought maybe this would go into when we finally found a building. Um, but we feel like God is shifting that to possibly look more like resurgent church. Because as we prophesy into our name, we're prophesying to not only our church, but the church to rise again. To become stronger, to experience a burst of energy especially after a fall or inactivity. And so God's been stirring that. We don't want to jump on anything really quickly. We, we always feel like we like to move a little slower, and we like to um, move towards peace. But we feel like at least anything will be resurgent ATL church, just to make us more aware that we're a church. Um, in the beginning, I don't think we really needed that as much because Bethel was known, like it was known. And maybe it's not this, our society is not the same as it was then. So we're feeling like, okay, that's another way to make it known that we're actually a church. So y'all even praying into that with us is, you know, do we want to change the name eventually just to Resurgent Church or Resurgent? I guess it would depend on our exact location. Right now our address is Atlanta. So I, I just kind of, we just kind of wanted to put that out there. Sometimes it's hard to present change to people, but isn't that a cool way to prophesy into our church though and to prophesy into the church? So there's that. So do you want to talk about vision a little bit? Well, yeah, let me first say, you know, I, I feel like this last season or this last year, if we've done anything really well through some of the stuff that's happened in this last year, uh, one of the things that I feel like we've done a better job of is building deeper connections and deeper uh, a place of deeper presence in the time of our worship when we come together. Would you guys agree with that, with the worship? And we're, we're moving forward in relationships. And, you know, we really want to become a church family that creates um, a community that transforms and transcends culture. That's who, we, that's who we are. That's how we're going to make a difference. Uh, I, I love Danny Silk. Danny talks about that, uh, and Terry's probably going to highlight this again, that healthy families will change the world. And that's the one thing that the enemy has been attacking severely over the last 10 years and even in the last three years. It is, it's something that he's just been coming after uh, uh, families to destroy families and disconnect and break them and break them up. And so well, the thing that we felt like, you know, and, and this probably got developed in us when we were at 
Bethel Atlanta, especially this saying because it came out of the heart of wanting to pursue presence was, what is the vision of what we're going after in this season is to build family around his presence. That's massively important because let me tell you something. Today, the church in general, worldwide, gathers around a message. There's nothing wrong with that, but it gathers around just speaking. It gathers around just hearing the word. All that's important, but if we leave out God's presence in the midst of that, We're missing everything. We're missing everything. Because when Israel gathered, what did they do? They gathered around the presence. They they camped around the presence. Why? Because it was so massively important. Why? Because his presence transforms. His word transforms as well. But coming into his presence brings massive uh, uh, transformance in our lives. And you know... It's impossible to discover heaven's culture apart from the presence of God because heaven's culture is a presence-based culture, right? I mean, none of us have been there yet unless you've had a trip to heaven or you want to tell us about how you went out in the Spirit for two days and you were in heaven, but I'm, it's a presence-based culture. And we, we, I mean, I know there's a lot of churches that do this well, but then there's churches that don't focus on that, and because they don't focus on it, um, it, 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 that real power that is brought in is brought through presence and prayer. It, it really is, and we haven't been known as a house of prayer. We've been more known as a house of presence, but we are shifting, and we are getting more in alignment with prayer and presence holding hands together. You know, I, I remember growing up in the Baptist church, how many of y'all have been in denominational churches before? Baptist church, Methodist, Catholic, whatever. And um, you know what we gathered around the majority of the time was the fear of hell. The fear of hell. That's what held us together, fear. I, I'm being honest. I'm, I'm being serious. And, and that's what we use to manipulate people or to control people or to get them motivated to go out and to win people to Christ. We didn't use what God really, who he really is, which is love and acceptance and presence. We use fear. Fear does, is not lasting. Fear does not change you. It makes you change the way you act because you're afraid of being punished. There's no relationship in that whatsoever. Right? You guys are looking at me like deer in a headlight. Come on. Am I, pre- am I preaching to myself? I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. That's why we ended up not, we were out of church for a while because we got sick of that. We got sick of that. And so, you know, why presence? Well, because God is building family around presence, his presence. And we have to, we, we, he wants us to go after that on a level like we've never gone before. And it's in that place that we're going to, it's going to be sustainable through relationships, uh, through covenant, and the supernatural, and seeing God move on levels that we've never seen him move before. All right, so let's, let's talk about that. We want to break this down into two points, so we're just going to give you these two points. If you remember anything today, <laughs> and what we want 
each of us to commit to. We're going to look at why presence and why family, those two words, because uh, because building family around his presence. So let's talk about presence for a minute. Um, He kind of talked about presence, and I think we'll probably have some messages in the future on actual presence, but we really wanted to hit on four pillars of a presence-based culture, because if we're going to build a presence-based culture, we need to know what our builders, our, our pillars are, our foundational pieces. And there are these four things. The goodness of God is the cornerstone of all theology. Nothing is impossible. Everything was purchased at Calvary, and every person is significant. So I want to talk about just the goodness of God for just a minute because, you know, that is the, that's the one thing that really has been under attack from the beginning of time. We can even look at the garden um, you know, the enemy's not just the accuser of the brethren, but he's the accuser of God to the brethren. And in that moment in the garden as he's talking to Eve, he's really convinced, trying to convince her that God's her problem. That, um, you know, he says, did God really say that? You know, basically saying God's not good because he's withholding something from you um, that you deserve, which is even more important. And he's trying to convince us that God's withholding something from us that we deserve. And he's just continued that tactic from the beginning of time. You see it all through scripture. We see it today happening all the time. Um, Because we know he's the father of all lies. And that's the greatest lie that he wants to convince us of is that God is not good. Let's look at Romans 2, 4. It says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. You know, God's plan A for us to get into the kingdom and to advance the kingdom is for us to hear good news and to believe it, right? Because the gospel's good news. Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So that's pillar number one. Number two, nothing is impossible. And I kind of put two little bullet points next to this because it says God does not want us to think with limitations. So who, I mean, who, I'm kind of that, sometimes I have that moment where I'm just, nothing's impossible. We can do anything. Um, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not very limiting, is it? I mean, not at all. And, you know, Jesus says many times, he says, nothing is impossible for him who believes. And then he even switches it around a time or two, and he says, all things are possible for him who believes. Uh, so I guess he just want to make sure we got it really clearly. But um, John 14, it says, the things that I do, you will do also, and greater things because I go to the Father. And then the second point is that uh, when we think with limitations, we're actually buying into lies of restriction. So there's those lies again, right? We need to identify. Um, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So we're a part of this movement that believes nothing is impossible. We can look at dry bones and believe that they can live. Um, Steve Backlin, I wrote this quote down by Steve. He says that God loves to partner with unreasonably optimistic people, and that's who we are. So let's speak. That was when you said that about Bill Hobbs earlier. I said, well, it's because he's unreasonably optimistic. So anyway, I love that about, about Bill. But anyway, let's look at number three. Everything was purchased at Calvary. 
you know, that doesn't just mean we get to go to heaven. Y'all know this, but I'm going to hit on it again. I was thinking about that so much in that song this morning about the cross. It's so much more. It's we're, we're saved, but we're delivered, we're healed, we're restored. Um, so when we can understand what was accomplished at the cross, then our faith rests on that one thing. And I wrote it down as, you know, we've, you've heard it talked about uh, the exchange that took place, talked about that, you know, we take on his righteousness that he won through his sinlessness. He took on every curse so that we could live with blessing. He took our sickness so that I could live with good health. How many need some health right now in their lives? Every need was purchased at Calvary. Every physical need, every emotional need, every relational need was purchased for us. And if you think about just daily putting on the armor of God, you know, when we put on the helmet of salvation, we're putting into our thinking the benefits of salvation. So think about that the next time you're putting on your armor of God, the benefits of salvation. And then the fourth point really is just that every person is significant. I think this is really on your heart a lot. One of part of our motto in the past has been we want people to feel seen, heard, and known, but empowered to pursue their dreams and destiny. And we'd like to be able to believe that we're blowing wind on your dreams and helping you uh, fulfill those. But um, just believing that every person is significant. You know, heaven's best places are not reserved for speakers and great leaders and all of that. Every person can do the stuff. That's what I talked about the other day. We use that word because our kids would used to say that. Everybody can do the stuff. Everybody was going to the homeless shelter and praying for people. Everybody was prophesying. Everybody, and like I said, we had come from pastor-driven where our pastor literally led the worship, literally was the only one who ever prophesied. He usually preached the message, and he was the prayer team. And that was the model we had left for our children, even though we believed we could do it, and we did occasionally out at the gas station or whatever, pray for people or to work or in our work situation, but maybe we just didn't model it for our kids. And here was a whole, com- whole culture, not even community, a whole culture of people who not just believed it but walked in it. And um, so it's just doing the stuff. We're just going to call it doing the stuff. Yeah, Bill says, and I love what Bill says. He said, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That's me. That's you. That's all of us. Now, we're all called. I mean, we're all called, and and, and some of us are more qualified than others. But it doesn't really matter because God has a calling and a destiny on each one of our lives. Uh, who, Who likes country music in here? Oh, man, I got a lot of country music fans. Uh, there's a new song out right now that I just absolutely love, and it's Brothers Osborne, and it's called Nobody's Nobody. Have you guys heard that? You want me to sing it for you? I'll just, I'll just say it. The, the, the chorus of the line is, nobody's nobody. Everybody is significant. Everybody plays a part in something that goes on in this world. And that's what the significance piece is. Yeah, that's good. I mean, the world needs to get a hold of that just like the church does. So um, more power to the country singers prophesying it to the people, right? So um, we can, each and every one of us, walk in the supernatural. It's not just our leaders. It's not just set aside for anyone in particular or special. So I just said this too. Also, we're not, not only are we, let me say this again. We are not only significant, but we have a significant assignment. 
And I think that's a really extra deep level because we're all called to be significant and there's no one who, who can do it like you. Yes. There's no one who can do it like you. And that was kind of helpful to us too with, with us accepting that we have certain skill sets and certain giftings and to trust God to put other people around us and accept those because we can look at ourselves and say, I'm not enough. I cannot measure up to do all that needs to be done. And so to just accept that your own unique giftings, but also your experiences. Just think about how your unique experiences can help you help others even. What is that saying? Your deepest pain is your greatest, say it. Yeah, so your place of pain, so your experiences are the place that you can reign in. You have the experience. Um, you can do it with authority now. So um, let's see, really quick. So you have an important role. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, quote Steve Backlund again. Obviously, we've been kind of listening to some of his teachings. But um, he tells a story about when he was young, and he, start, he was in ministry in his younger days, and he was pastoring a church. And he's telling God, and I feel like, I could see myself in this place. He says, God, I can't wait to do something great for you. Have you ever felt that way? Because I kind of feel like I'm very much futuristic and I'm very task-oriented. I'm driven to do the next step. And I'm like, I just can't wait to do something great for you. And he said, God's answer to him was, why don't you do what you're doing right now with great faith? And it will become great. Whew. I'm going to say it again because we need to remind ourselves. Why don't you do what you're doing right now with great faith? Serving in children's ministry. Right? Working at an IT company. Right? Uh, Eric preaches a message. Build the wall in front of you right now. Do it with great faith. And it will become great. Um, so I love that. Believe that you are significant. So how many here feel like for right now, for this 2024, that you could possibly press into making a commitment of pressing into presence? So we'll have that piece of presence and family. We can commit to two things, making those the number one thing here in resurgence body, presence and family. Do you, do you want to talk about family? Let's go to the next uh, slide about family a little bit because now it says why family. Um, and he said it earlier, healthy families will transform culture. I don't know if you're listening to any podcasts or anything, but even some of the worldly teachers, TED Talks and all these things, they are recognizing that family is what's going to save our nation, what's going to save our culture. So the church needs to get on board for sure and know that that's what it's going to take, healthy families. And I do mean each individual family unit. What about our church family? What about our church family? What those healthy families can do to transform culture. So in the beginning, our very first vision in the in the good old days which we're really not changing was that we wanted to see ourselves build a family or a culture that would transform culture so I kind of said that wrong would build a community that would transform culture I was like that sounds big how can we do that really we just got to start with building family building healthy family everything else will just fall into place because that will impact our culture so let's look at this real quick. This looks long, but I'm just going to read it really fast because 
if we're going to build and we're going to commit to building a kingdom family, we need to know what it is. What is kingdom family? That was a phrase that was thrown around for years that just haphazardly, kingdom family, kingdom family. It was on all the conferences, but nobody really knew what kingdom family was, and they've got the mindset of what their family looked like, and it wasn't good. So, you know, it's like a bad model, I guess is what you're saying. So let's look at this, because in kingdom family, which was God's original intent, right, we need to get back to his original intent for family. And to do that, we're going to take the initiative I mean, be intentional to seek others and cultivate belonging. It hurts my heart more than anybody to hear somebody say, nobody ever talks to me or nobody, and, and you're the one sitting in the chair. Like, I'm, I don't, that sounded ugly. <laughs> I don't mean like that, but like, there's, you know, maybe you've been here three years and everybody, 20, 30, 40 other people have been here six months. You might have to be the one who's intentional to seek others out and that'll give them the courage to seek others out so I think we've all kind of been I know our women's group for sure we've been really I guess you could say poked this year about okay I need community I'm dying over here you need community I'm dying you're dying over there like we have to be intentional and that's the hard piece making the step and now things are so easy we just can't hardly go a day without texting each other or putting something out on our Facebook group or just something to, to talk to each other. And we're more excited now about planning our meetings instead of kind of showing up going, oh, we got another meeting tonight. You know, like we're excited about it. So we've got to be intentional to seek others out. All right, express to others that they are not alone in their pain and struggles. You know, in the church, we try to hide that a lot. Validate others' experiences and seek to understand. Again, we don't want anybody to know, so how we've got to learn to be vulnerable and then invalidate one another. Be vulnerable about, vulnerable about our own experiences of pain. Focus on our similarities, not our differences. And really, and to value our perspectives that are different than your own. And one of the things I love about Bill Johnson, he was, I think it was Randy Clark asked him, how in the world are you having some of these guest speakers in town preaching? And I know you don't believe everything that they say. And you're just sitting on the front row praising God. And he said, you know what? I just focus on the 80% that we agree on. And then I let God take care of the other 20%. Because who knows? Maybe God will convict you that you're wrong. Maybe he'll convict him that he was wrong. It's not something to leave the church over, I guess is a good way to say that. We just need to value each other's perspectives. I'm not saying to get off on some crazy theology, but focus on our similarities. Did you want to add something? Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, right now culture is, has created this mentality that if we disagree, then we cannot be in unity and we cannot be in relationship. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> and it is, it is an agenda by the enemy to keep us separated, not to bring us together. Because yeah. we can agree to disagree. Terry and I disagree on a lot of stuff, but we still love each other. We still stay in relationship. Why? Because we value each other. You know, real honor looks like celebrating somebody for who they are without stumbling over who they're not, right? Yeah. All right, let go of judgment and stereotypes. Love others where they are. Create authentic atmospheres of fun and joy where people can laugh and be themselves. I think we're trying to do that. Um, the goal is never to fix someone but simply love 
trusting that love transforms and heals. And then this last one really is, man, this is so key, especially in the church, I think. We honor and stay the course. This is true in marriage, too. We honor and stay the course and do not abandon or disconnect when things get hard. That's what makes a lasting relationship, right? Yeah, and, and can I say this? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be really vulnerable. There are a couple of you in here that know this story. So when we left Bethel, Atlanta, it was really difficult because there were a lot of feelings involved. There were a lot of hurt feelings involved because they people you, you grow attached to people. And when somebody says, hey, I'm going to leave your environment now, that's really difficult. And there were some misses along the way, and there was the possibility that there could have been a lot of unforgiveness between us and Bethel Atlanta in us going after what we felt God called us to do. But because we did not abandon one another and we did not disconnect, guess what happened? That relationship came full circle. I mean, full circle. And I'm in better relationship with them today than I was just as much as I was when I was there. And that's because we did not abandon each other. Guys, relationships are hard. It's not going to be easy. Don't abandon them, though, and don't disconnect when it gets hard because you're never going to see the fruit of the labor of what you put into it and and trust God and put faith in that. You're not going to see the fruit of that if you don't don't stay the course. So I just want to encourage you, keep going after it. Even when you miss it, even when you have misses. That's good. Okay, so this year our goal is to build family around his presence. So we're going to commit to really press into that. It really goes to, we haven't taken away the peace. Remember probably this time last year we started talking about we want to, how we're going to do this. Our mission, because you have a mission that drives you to your vision. And our mission really to how are we going to build family Family around around his his presence. presence is to restore, transform, and equip individuals for kingdom impact. So that's what Chris is going to talk about, what that looks like, because we're restoring. How do, we got to restore unto kingdom family. We're not going to just instantly be there. So yeah. talk about that for a minute. And then do we have that slide? Yeah, do we have and a slide this is for the it? last piece. So y'all bear with so, us for a yeah, couple more minutes. Yeah, we, we feel like we've had so many prophetic words since the beginning and starting of this church that we would become a place of restoration not only for hurt people, but for broken leaders. And we have seen that over the last five years. It's been incredible. It's incredible, but it's sad, too, because a lot of times people will come in, they get healed up, and then they go on to their next assignment. And we're like, as a pastor, your heart's like, oh, don't leave. I want you to be here with me forever. But we can't because we have to let go, too. But that big piece is is restoring people unto kingdom family, which was always God's original tent. I mean, when he created Adam and Eve, he, and, he, and, he, and, he created them to be in relationship. When he sent Jesus as a baby to redeem everything that was lost in the garden, it was the original intent to bring kingdom family back to the, the forefront. That's why he did it. And how does that happen for us when we, here at this church when you come in and you say, hey, I'm going to be a part of the vision here, and I'm going to be a part of the mission? It's our job as the body of Christ to come in and have unconditional love and acceptance and 
for people when they come through these doors and again to make them feel seen, heard, and known. And I've had heard so many testimonies of people coming in and saying, I just felt so loved. I felt the presence of God. And when you put unconditional love with presence, man, it brings transformation, right? And uh, how do you do that? You do it through authenticity and through vulnerability and among leaders in the body. We have to be willing to be authentic and vulnerable. And those are a couple of my core main, value, uh, core main values is to be vulnerable and to be authentic. Because without that, it's just fake, fake, fake to me, period. It just feels fake. Uh, the next piece is when people come through here and they get restored unto kingdom family and they're feeling the unconditional love of the Father, they get transformed through presence. When they come in here, they're feeling the presence of God and they feel the love of God. But not only that, they become transformed into proper identity as sons and daughters, not old sinners saved by grace. You know, and I've preached on this before. Which side of the cross are you living on? Are you living on the side of the cross where you're just an old sinner by saved by grace? Are you living on the side of the cross where you've been redeemed, you're in Christ, and you're a son and you're a daughter? That's the position, and that's where transformation comes in our life when we walk in our proper identity. If you don't have that identity, you cannot walk the way Jesus created you to walk in. It's then when you have that understanding of that proper identity that no longer are you just nobody, but now you're somebody. And you're not just somebody. You're a son and you're a daughter. And you're, you're an heir to what he has. And then from that place, there's an overflow that spills over onto the people around you. And it, it brings that proper identity. And it brings, you know, we've got to stay in a place where we understand that he is one Jesus has won absolute victory. And uh, it's also a part of that transformation piece is uh, the prophetic culture. And, uh, you know, in, in uh, Revelations 19.10, it, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what is a prophecy? A prophecy or a testimony is something that is written down a story of a victorious thing that has taken place in your life. It becomes a story. And when it becomes a story and it becomes a testimony, it also displays the true nature of who God is in your life. That he is a loving father. He is a good God. He is a redeeming God. What he's done, he's brought victory in your life. He's done all those things. And, this, and, and the testimony of Jesus begins to become the spirit of prophecy as you tell your story. Because then it's the story that he has for all of mankind. And it's just, it's just so good. And then the next thing is equipping people, you know, not just for the preaching, not just for preaching the word, but for preaching the good news. I, I, I love this verse Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus said of himself, if I can pull this up, come on phone, I show it my face, it doesn't do my face, I don't have it on my face, I'm scared of AI, so <laughs> I don't do that. I'm not scared really, I'm just kind of, where is it? Oh, there it is. Sorry, guys. So Jesus said this. I got I to gotta zoom in on it. But he, Jesus, said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God 
to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. Guys, if we're, if we're not preaching the good news and we're preaching uh, some other kind of theology other than the good news of Christ and the good, then we're, we're, we're missing it. We're missing it. And why we've missed it for so long is because we've set ourselves up to sit down in front of teachers who teach blended theology. Old covenant, new covenant mixed together. Paul rebuked the Corinthian church. Right? Wasn't in the Corinthian church? Is that right? But he said, who has bewitched you? Uh-huh. huh Galatians. Who, yeah. Oh, 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 Galatians. Who has bewitched you? That you started in such a good way, in a good thing, and now you've gone back to dead works, basically. Because when Paul left, false teachers came in and began to teach blended theology. That it was other than the, it was other than the work of the cross. It was other than the blood of Jesus. Guys, we've been having that done to us for the last 200 years. You know how long, we went to, when we got to Bethel, we were so messed up in our heads, in our theology around who God really was, and it took, and I'm still working through it, but it took almost 12 years to beat that stuff out of me and get good theology and to understand that, no, this is who God is. He's a good God. I, I had to get rid of bad dad. I love what Dub says, bad dad theology. We got to get rid of bad dad theology. Fear, fear. There's a reverence that you have for God. And, of course, back in the Old Testament, yeah, there was the fear of the Lord because there, there was the law. But that was never God's intent. God's intent from the beginning was to be in relationship, not for you to have to keep 12 commandments or how many, how many commandments was it in the law, right? Three, 12 commandments. I said 10 commandments. I say 12, whatever. You know how many laws there was in the Jewish culture? Like 365, something crazy. So I'm not a theologian, okay? I'm sorry, guys. But there are a lot of laws. There are a lot of laws. 613, fellow theologian over here, right? Thank you, Vivian. Uh, anyway, guys, they, you can't keep them. You can't keep them. He doesn't expect you to keep them. Not now, not in this new covenant, not in this new relationship. So the, the, the point is, as we move in and we preach the good news, we advance the kingdom uh, w- through proper uh, teaching uh, and proper theology. Uh, again, change your theology and change the world. And one of the things that we want to do to equip people here is for them to step into who they really are and who, what, they, what God's called them to be. And by empowering them, and it, we, we want to be an empowering culture. And where we come along, like Terry said, come alongside you and encourage you and, and, and do things together with you the best that we can. And now I, I'll say this, you know, and we struggled with this when we were at Bethel Atlanta. When you preached an empowering culture and, hey, we want to see you, you know, there is a, it becomes a tension there because then everybody thinks they're supposed to get the microphone and get up here and preach 24-7, you know? And that's not always the case, but sometimes it is. And if we recognize that on your life and that, I'll be the first one to give you the microphone, okay, if I recognize that. And then, you know, one of the things I love what Bill said uh, in Bethel, well, he still says it, but when we first got there, one of the things that 
he said, when you step into a new environment or you step into the house, what you've got to do is to be a part of family, you've got to be willing to set your own bags down. Set your own bags down and run with the vision of the house. And when you're willing to set down your own bags, which is your agendas, then God can do something in your life. Yeah. He can do something in your life. And what that does, it, it, it shows leadership. It shows God, hey, you're willing to submit to authority. Because as much as, you know, maybe you've been under abusive authority and we've seen it done wrong, there's plenty of, situa- uh, there's plenty of opportunities and, and plenty of examples where the right authority and the correct authority and the loving authority empowers and so uh, that's who we aspire to be here is mm-hmm. an authority figure, an authority that empowers and, and comes alongside of people and see their dreams come, come true. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to wrap this up. Um, the school teacher in me feels like I need to do a summary and an action step. So we're going to just do it really quick. And I love how you ended that um, because I feel like, Um, If we can just remember, this is what we're projecting for the year, that we're here to build family around presence. And so we're going to be focusing on pressing into presence and what that looks like and being intentional about building family and restoring family. I don't know if we're going to do the declarations. You can make that decision. But I just want to say kind of what he said about coming in and putting your bags down. I think one of the things that as far as an action step, what would really give me a lot of joy, and we talked about this in our, in our women's retreat, just like what I want to see about intent. We were talking about intentionality, about someone's got to be the one to start the relationships, right? So we've got to be intentional. So I think if we could have an a- action step for those two things, um, just pursuing presence and building family, is that, you know, when we the first day that we went to Bethel, Atlanta, we had been in ministry, and then we were not even in church, and then we came to Bethel, Atlanta. But we were so, even though God had a lot of wilderness, you know, season for us to work, a lot of old mindsets out of us, still that very first day, we had a mindset shift automatically. And we already begin to carry ourselves in a much more tall, you know, whatever our position, because we saw this as our church. We never went around and said, well, your church, and when we come to your church, and we want you guys to see this as your church. Don't call it our church. Call it your church. Because we carried ourselves automatically, even though other people had been going there for a few months and we were new. Suddenly, we felt like, almost like we were leadership, not in a disrespectful way, like we're going to get the mic. We just carried ourselves like this is our church. We started going around and praying for people when we saw somebody with a cast. Or we started... um, prophesying over people in the congregation. We started inviting people to come sit with us, to go to lunch with us. We just carried ourselves like it was ours, like it had been ours all along, and we weren't new that day. And it was just a mind shift, and that's what I'd like to see for people in here, like carrying this thing as it's yours. And even like he said, putting your bags down is just really a symbolic of you putting your agenda down and say, okay, God, what's what's the agenda here basically? What can we help carry out. So I hope that makes sense, that example. But then presence, can I say this really quick? Mm -hmm. Presence, I mean, 
I don't, I don't want to, like, manipulate or kind of talk you into something, but what would it look like if every single person was running up here on the falling on the floor or whatever, like crying out in worship? And I know worship is not the only way to get presence, but when you're in the presence all week in your living room or doing your dishes, it doesn't take Stephen four songs to get you there. And it also makes you coming across the parking lot, running, going, oh, my gosh, we're going to be late. I want to get there for that first note because I'm coming prepared to be in the presence of God. Even though you're in the presence on the way. You, you understand what I'm saying. But I, I'm going to tell you, I went and visited Cody and Julie's church. And this is not to compare, no comparison. But one of the, and they, it's a very large church or whatever. The first time I was there, I could not believe when the first note hit, there were 25 or 30 men up here worshiping radically. And I was like, whoa, it was the men leading worship. So when I say this is your church, you are the leaders. And when you're up here, and I'm not saying you have to come up here because you can, you can worship there. But I told this to, like, to the ladies who brought the ribbons and everything. You are the worship leaders when you come up here and you worship because you are pulling people in with you to worship. So at your church, you be the worship leader. You be the leader. You be the prophetic. Okay, did I say too much? No. So, anyway, so I'm not trying to manipulate it. I don't want everybody falsely running up here next week going, okay, Jerry wants us up here. That's not what I mean. But what could it look like? What could our vision look like? If, like, we were so impacted by the presence of God that we hardly could even crawl up here, maybe, because it was so heavy. Could we dream into that? Being intentional about relationships, pursuing presence. Yeah, and I'll just finish with this, saying this, that, uh, you know, this isn't our church. This is God's church. This is your church. It's not just our church. It's everybody's church. And God is really, I think, in this year of 2024 with the realignment, God is calling us to all move from the place of being spectators to being participants. But I didn't give very many amens on that one. Really hard. It's it's really hard to do that, especially with the the last couple of years we've just come out of. Well, I mean, we we we've talked about this how the, we've been trained that gathering is not necessary, and unfortunately, half the body of Christ is bought into the lie. It's not biblical, and and it, and it doesn't work. I mean, it's great to get the word, but I, I told I might have said this before. It's like during the winter when you got a fire going. So awesome. It's not the same, though, if you just got a screen over your fireplace looking at a fireplace image. Because why? You can't feel the warmth. It's the same thing when you come together as, as believers. If you just stay at home, you can't experience that warmth with a part of the body. You can't experience the presence like you can in person. So I really believe God is... is and I'm not saying you, but we've all been in the area, in the, in, the, in the arena when we went to church seven days a week. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I mean, I grew up in church. Like, I mean, all the time at, at church. And I'm not saying that's, that was a bad thing. But then sometimes it becomes excessive too. But it, if you can't, you can make it to church at least once a week, okay? Because you're going you're gonna to be a better person for it. Because you're coming together with people of like mind, like minds, and, and it encourages you. And, and you and you're able to draft off their testimonies. And so uh, I, you know, I just want to encourage you guys. This is a season for us to jump in. 
especially in 2024 with it being an election year, you're going to need the presence of God more than you've ever needed him before. Because this is going to be a doozy this year, okay? And, I, well, I'm just saying, we're, you know, we can't put our trust in what we see, and we can't put our trust in man. We're going to have to put our trust in God. So, guys, we need each other. We need each other. And we need to make sure that we are intentionally going after that in family and going after the presence. Everybody stand up. So I'm not going to do those declarations. We've just, we've run. Yeah, we'll send these declarations out. Uh, I think they're really good, and I think it'd be good for you to be able to speak over your families. And just remind your heart, like, hey, this is who we are, and this is who God's called us to be. But... uh, I'm going to pray us out of here and just put your hand on the person to the left and your right. And let's just, man, let's have some faith this year that God is radically going to shift things in our mindsets. He's going to, he's going to shift the way we think. He's going to shift the things in our, in, in our environment. And because he has won absolute victory, we have absolute victory as well. So, Father, we just thank you uh, for 2024. God, this is going to be a year where we just realign our hearts with who you are. And, God, I just thank you that family has always been your intention from the very beginning. And so, Father, I pray that there is such a uh, wind that is blowing on family this year that it is going to just it's going to bring us together in such a tight way. It's going to bring us together in a unified way where we begin to see your spirit move on unprecedented levels like we've never seen before. God, we just thank you for your for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that uh, we have everything we need in Christ Jesus, that, God, you've supplied all of our needs through Jesus. And, Father, we just pray right now that as we move into this year, that, God, we would put such a priority on your presence in staying before you because when we're in when you when we're in your presence no lie can manifest and stay in our life it can't become a, a seed buried into our spirit but God it gets totally ripped up by the roots because your truth obliterates all lies in our lot in our lives so father we just thank you that God uh, you are doing something really mighty and really special in your body this year and we just lean towards that and lean into it and we say yes to it and just just release that over the person to your left and right say God we just release uh, the 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 we break off that things are impossible and we just speak greater things to happen in each person's life that you are the God of uh, the impossible. And so we just release that over every situation in every person's life and in their families. If you're facing something that looks impossible, it's okay because God is the God of possible. He is the God of all all victory, all good things. So we just release that over our lives and we speak it over our children, over our grandchildren, over our friends, and over our church. And everybody said amen. Well, listen, we love you guys. Hey, go out and be the church, man. Share your heart, share your testimony. Let Jesus uh, shine through you. And uh, happy new year, everybody. For more resources and information about Resurgent ATL, please visit our website.